Okay, here we go. In May 2008, Warner Brothers released the glossy and expensive action film Speed Racer into cinemas around the world. Directed by Andy and Lana Wachowski, it was a live-action adaptation of a once-popular children's cartoon made on a $130 million budget, blessed with wall-to-wall advertising and given a prime summer release date. It underperformed terribly, it lost the studio tens of millions of dollars, and it failed to engage too many critics. And it's not simply that the film wasn't a commercial success, it seemed to be actively ignored. Here was an expensive, visual effects-driven blockbuster, written and directed by the siblings who created the phenomenally successful Matrix trilogy, featuring performances by quality actors like John Goodman, Susan Sarandon, and Christina Ricci, based on a Japanese anime with enormous cult appeal, and it was as if one could hear crickets. Movies underperform and flop all the time, but in the case of a visually distinctive, colourful film like Speed Racer, there's usually the consolation of some kind of cult status. And at the time of writing, the film is eight years old, and that cult following still has not developed. It's a sad end for a movie that took Warner Brothers 16 years and five directors to bring to the screen. Hi, I'm Grant Watson, and this is You Do It Because You're Driven, the making of Speed Racer from www.fictionmachine.com. Let's jump all the way back to the beginning. So in June 1966, the manga anthology Shonen Book premiered a new serial by Tatsuo Yoshida titled Mac Go Go Go. The serial, which was inspired by Viva Las Vegas and Goldfinger, followed the adventures of a race car driver named Go Mufune. As was often the case, the success of the manga led to an anime adaptation, which debuted on Fuji TV in April 1967 and ran for 52 episodes. Later that year, the series was dubbed into English and broadcast in the USA under the title Speed Racer, and it was one of several anime productions that made the leap from Japan to the USA at that time, alongside Astro Boy, Gigantor, and Marine Boy. Well, by the 1990s, Hollywood had started to find success in picking up old television properties and reinventing them for the movie-going audience. In 1991, Barry Sonnenfeld's adaptation of The Addams Family grossed more than $191 million worldwide, setting off a flurry of purchasing activity by the major studios. In the middle of this storm of activity, Warner Brothers purchased the film rights to Speed Racer, and in September 1992, they signed a deal with Joel Silver to produce it. Deciding to make a Speed Racer movie was easy. Deciding precisely what kind of Speed Racer movie to make was much more difficult. The project stumbled through iteration after iteration for more than a decade, with numerous directors approaching the concept, developing it a little, and then moving on when either Warner Brothers disliked what they saw, or the proposed budget became too large. Well, the first director hired by Silver was Patrick Reed Johnson, whose 1990 science fiction comedy Spaced Invaders had been a modest hit for Touchstone Pictures. While Warner Brothers and Silver had expected a similarly light-hearted take on Speed Racer, Johnson instead proposed and co-wrote a screenplay that reimagined the concept in a much darker and more futuristic vein than the original animation. And due to the wide gulf between what Warner Brothers had in mind and what Johnson was proposing to make, Johnson was let go from the project and his screenplay quietly shelved. A new script, aimed at a much more family-friendly and upbeat tone, was commissioned from up-and-coming screenwriter J.J. Abrams. In addition to writing the commercially successful films for Forever Young and Regarding Henry, Abrams had established a strong reputation as a script doctor, able to work closely to a studio's requirements. Well, at some stage in the development process, Abrams' screenplay was rewritten by another writer, while writing team, Mark Levin and Jennifer Flackett, then best known for their Amblin television series Earth 2. The second director signed on to Helm Speed Racer was Julian Temple, best known for his 1985 film Absolute Beginners. And at this stage, the project was budgeted at $30 million, making Speed Racer a mid-range studio picture, but by no means intended as a major summer blockbuster. In June 1995, Johnny Depp was cast in the title role, and production was scheduled for the following October in California and Arizona. 
that a key supporting role of Racer X, a masked car driver who protects speed while hiding his true identity, Temple suggested Mickey Rourke. When Warner Brothers ruled that choice out, singer turned actor Henry Rollins was considered instead. One New York Daily News article claimed that Nicolas Cage was under consideration for the part, although that was never confirmed by the director or the studio. As the film's start date approached, it became clear that the budget had expanded to an uncomfortable degree. What had been pitched as a mid-range $30 million production was now being costed at as much as $75 million. Warner Brothers blanched at Temple's proposed budget and delayed production until at least $20 million could be cut. In August 1996, Johnny Depp requested a delay to spend some time away from acting. Julian Temple departed the production shortly afterwards, and without an attached director, Depp formally exited the project as well. Temple later said, I learned what everyone learns, that you're a disposable cog in a machine that's trying ultimately to sell McDonald's tie-ins and action dolls. Eventually they wanted to replace Johnny Depp with Chris O'Donnell, so he was disposable too. For a brief period, Gus Van Sant, the director of the To Die For and Drugstore Cowboy, considered directing the film, but negotiations failed when Warner Brothers refused to allow the director to write his own screenplay for the film. In 1997, Warner Brothers brought in producer Lauren Shuler Donner to rework the project into a manageable state. Shuler Donner said, The problem at the time was the movie was conceived at too high a budget. There was a rivalry with a villain character, and those scenes would have cost a fortune to film. The studio moved on to approaching director Alfonso Cuaron. The Mexican filmmaker had already directed the 1995 family hit A Little Princess for Warner Brothers, and it was felt that he could make the cost-effective speed racer that the studio had originally envisaged. Well, in September 2000, writer-director Hype Williams was hired to take over the film, buoyed by the success of his 1998 film Belly. Within a year, he too had moved on. In October 2001, Warner Brothers paid screenwriters Christian Gudegast and Paul Schuring $1.2 million to develop an entirely new take for the film, and that appeared to go nowhere. In 2004, Speed Racer underwent a fresh burst of development when actor Vince Vaughn showed interest in producing the film, as well as playing that supporting role of Racer X. He explained, I've been a fan of the show since I was a kid, and I always liked the theme of the protected, protective older brother who can't reveal his identity. Well, despite Vaughan's initial interest, once again the project floundered. Speed Racer finally made the jump from development hell into production due to the interest of the writer-director team of Andy and Lana Wachowski. They had already worked for several years with Joel Silver, first when he produced their screenplay Assassins, the 1995 film, and then when he produced the Matrix trilogy and all three produced the comic book adaptation V for Vendetta. Silver said that when it all came about, I mean, they knew they had the project for a while and after V, or some point after V, they called me up one day and said, what are you doing with that speed racer thing? And I said, well, I'm struggling. And they said, well, we have an idea. And I said, well, go for it. So they had this notion of making what they considered live-action anime. And that's what it is, live-action anime. And they said, we want to show you what we want to do, and if the studio likes it, we have a way of making a movie of this. And if they don't, then we'll do something else. Producer Grant Hill said, Besides being one of their favourite cartoons growing up, one of the things that interested the Wachowskis most in adapting Speed Racer was the strong family dynamic of the original series. Lana and Andy had a strong desire to make a family film. They wanted to create a movie their nieces and nephews could see. Visual effects supervisor John Gator, who had worked with the Wachowskis on The Matrix, said, We wanted to start anew. We wanted to put aside the dark, dystopian aesthetic in Matrix and flip the polarity by going pop art and super optimistic. We called it Poptimistic, and that idea became a formula for the universe. Visual effects supervisor Dan Glass said, when describing the film, It's kind of photo anime. 
Well, anime, Japanese animation, had already provided inspiration for the Wachowskis when developing The Matrix, and they returned to the art form here. Whereas the earlier project owed a heavy debt to director Mamoru Oshii and his science fiction film Ghost in the Shell, Speed Racer owned a particular debt to Hayao Miyazaki's debut feature Castle of Cagliostro. Not that anime was the sole influence. John Gator again said, The Elvis movie Speedway is inching towards a pop art style that we were interested in. Tron? Sure. 2001? Akira? Any art form is derivative, reimagined by the new influences of the day. HD broadcast, animation on TV, video games, the internet. It's all a new swatch book. Lana Wachowski explained, We have always thought that it's interesting that no one has really done much with the cinematic language of editing. Editing is this very straightforward grammar. It's like a sentence. It begins with a capital letter and ends with a period. Every cut is a period. And we thought, well, because of computers, we actually have the ability to transcend this older language and try something more postmodern, the way Joyce and other postmodern writers like Rick Moody have tried to extend the grammar of literature to reflect more the way that we experience the world. We don't experience the world in sentences and capitals and periods. We experience the world in this, like, rushing stream of consciousness and connections. And we thought, wouldn't it be amazing to create sequences in a film that are just rushing montages that simulate the way that we actually experience the world? To experiment with a new editing approach, a special effects team at BUF Compagnie in Paris took footage from John Frankenheimer's 1996 racing film Grand Prix and manipulated it to replace the actual photograph backgrounds with a CGI substitute. The elasticated motion generated by stretching the panned camera angle from one actor to another was referred to as the nouveau pan, and it became the first of several unique techniques developed to give Speed Racer its distinctive look. In addition to a new range of editing concepts, the visual effects team designed methods of making live-action cinema look more like animation. Dan Glass said, In the film, each layer, the foregrounds, midgrounds, and backgrounds, were created separately. The way these planes moved against one another has a quality we've all grown up seeing in cartoons. It's like a second language to children. We're playing against perspective, he said, and creating images that deliberately break the rules. One manner in which the rules were broken was in the use of focus. Typical movie shots focus on one element of interest, with the background blurry and indistinct. By combining multiple layers of imagery into a single shot, everything could be in focus. It was a style deliberately chosen for its high artificiality and its resemblance to the animated image. The non-realistic manner in which the action was presented was echoed in much of the production design, particularly the elaborate racing tracks that appeared throughout the film. Production designer Owen Patterson recalled, The Wachowski's first directive was, Our racetrack should be a cross between a giant ski slalom and a skateboard park. If anything, the tracks look like racing video games, such as Super Mario Kart or F-Zero, another clear influence, to me at least, in the finished film. John Gator said, We wanted racing scenes to be quite gladiatorial. We took our cues from the gizmo aspects of the Speed Racer series, where cars could jump and flip and drive on 90-degree surfaces. It was a more extreme version of the X Games, where contestants jump motorcycles 500-plus feet and do gymnastics before they land. We thought, okay, if a bike can do that, how about a car with a small jet engine? More than 100 concept cars were designed for potential use in the film, and only the Mach 5, Speed's iconic white racer, was actually physically built. All of the other vehicles were composed entirely with computer graphics. The racing sequences were entirely digital, with complex algorithms developed to govern the car movements, which were then overridden by animators when particularly extreme stunts were needed. Crowd scenes were deliberately shot with a comparatively small group of people in a limited palette of coloured clothing. The crowd was then duplicated many times over to simulate that repetitive look of such scenes in traditionally animated cartoons. 
A similar technique was used for a nighttime chase sequence involving Racer X. The background imagery was based on footage shot on a mountain road in Austria, but the same conifer tree was then duplicated digitally hundreds of times along the side of the road to deliberately make the shots look repetitive. Race sequences use similar techniques, with extensive CGI mapped over photographic backgrounds shot in Europe, Hawaii and North Africa. For the Casa Cristo 5000 desert race, the production simply licensed footage already shot for the Roland Emmerich film 10,000 BC. Visual effects supervisor Kevin Mack said, We had some big camera moves, so we wound up using quite a bit of 3D. We projected our extensively painted photographic material onto geometry and generated full 3D elements with all the camera moves created in CG. The Racer family home was one of the few physical sets that was built, in order to give scenes shot there a slightly more realistic grounding. That said, digital composites were extensively used in all the scenes featuring Chim Chim, the family's pet chimpanzee, to avoid ever shooting the two trained animals at the same time as their human companions. The Wachowskis considered several actors for the title role of Speed Racer, including Shia LaBeouf, Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zac Efron, but in the end they cast 21-year-old actor Emile Hirsch, who had recently starred in the acclaimed drama Into the Wild. Hirsch said, I was a really big fan of the show. Even when I was six years old, I used to watch it every morning. And when I first saw The Matrix in theatres, it was one of the most incredible experiences I ever had, watching a movie with the Wachowskis. Those two elements were so extraordinary on their own that the idea of putting them together seemed like it would be a fantastic film. Christina Ricci played Trixie, a talented helicopter pilot and Speed's girlfriend. While the 27-year-old actress had appeared in several films adapted from comic strips and popular culture, including The Addams Family and Casper, she wasn't initially familiar with Speed Racer or its characters. She admitted, Well, I've been aware of Speed Racer from hipster paraphernalia, but I never actually saw any of the cartoons. Ricci was easily the most appropriate casting choice of the film. Her round, pale face and large, wide eyes gave her a close resemblance to an animated character turned into live action. Her character was well served by the script as well, acting not only as a love interest, but a pilot and backup race driver as well. Speed's parents, named simply Mom and Pops, were played by Susan Sarandon and John Goodman. Sarandon is a five-time Academy Award nominee, winning once for a performance in Dead Man Walking. Goodman remains best known for his starring role as Dan Connor in the long-running TV comedy Roseanne, but has also featured in a host of acclaimed films, including several by the brothers Joel and Ethan Cohen. Sarandon said, I'm a huge fan of The Matrix, and my youngest son, well, all my kids were, but especially my youngest, I just thought they were brilliant. When they called me, after a few phone calls, I said, I don't even understand what you're talking about, but I'll do it. Of the Wachowskis, Goodman said, they were good to work with, they were very funny. The hot-headed Japanese race driver Taijo Tokugan was an original creation by the Wachowskis. And despite the character being Japanese, the actor, the actor cast was Korean, the popular singer and actor Rain. His real name is Jung Ji-hoon. Rain said, When I auditioned for the Wachowski brothers, I said to them, Right now, my English might not be perfect, but if you guys wait and see, I'll do my best on my acting. My English will improve and you'll see me doing very well. The Wachowski brothers didn't cast me strategically, thinking I'd market well. They really cast me because they believed in me and had trust in me. Well, the Wachowskis developed a positive working relationship with Rain during the Speed Racer shoot and tailored a subsequent film, the 2009 James McTeague film Ninja Assassin, specifically for him. Taijo's sister Horiko was played by Chinese actress Yu Nan. It appears to be a general trend in Hollywood to cast characters of a specific Asian nationality with Asian actors of any nationality. Here we see actors from Korea and China playing Japanese roles. Togo Egawa, on the other hand, is Japanese. He played Tetsuo Tokugan. Taijo and Horoku's father. While born in Japan, he established his acting career in the United Kingdom, and in 1986, he became the first Japanese member of the prestigious Royal Shakespeare Company. 
Matthew Fox played Racer X, a masked and anonymous vigilante who might be Speed's presumed dead older brother Rex. The role had been offered to Keanu Reeves, who turned it down in favour of Scott Derrickson's big-budget remake of The Day the Earth Stood Still. Fox shot his scenes in between seasons of the popular television series Lost, in which he starred as Jack Shepard. He said, It was like doing it for the first time in a lot of respects. The whole process that they're doing is very different. The way that the images are layered in, the way things are even shot. Most of the time you'll end up doing a scene, and then the actors will be removed from it, so you were doing it by yourself. Just the experience of discovering what this world is that they are building and trying to find a way into that world as this masked vigilante was really fun. Well, Speed Racer was shot entirely in a Berlin studio on a 60-day schedule. The extensive extensive use of digital sets presented a challenge for the cast. How do you perform a scene when you can't see where you are, or what's around you, or even to whom you're talking? Christina Ricci said, I liked it because it immediately created a bond amongst, amongst all the actors and a lot of our stuff, especially the beginning of shooting, was all family stuff. So it was all ensemble, all of us together. Immediately you walk into this big green room and you look at everyone else dressed in various hilarious costumes and you just say, yeah, okay, what are we doing today? Then they're like, it's snowing. Oh, Susan, did you know it's snowing right now? We're laughing and it's kind of like, it's ridiculous, but we're committing to it. We don't know what's going on around us, but we're going to do what they tell us to do. It creates a bond that's really wonderful. Susan Sarandon said, I was surprised that it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. But then I started thinking that when you do a regular movie, you're pretending that things that are there are not there. So when you're doing green screen, it's almost a relief because all you have to do is imagine things are there. I mean, imagine doing a love scene with 20 people in the room and a camera. If you've trained after so many years to pretend that's not happening, it's easier when you get to a green screen and you just have to imagine following a little tennis ball at the end of a stick. Mill Hirsch said, What was really weird was doing the car scenes, because we did it on a hydraulic pump called a gimbal. All of my anger in the film is so authentic, because they were just slamming me around in the simulator for hours. It was green and hot, and there's lights on you, and you can't move because you're strapped in. You get literally frustrated to this point, where you just want to rip the thing apart with a bat, and ah! Matthew Fox added, the gimbal was really intense. Thank God for that gimbal. It needed to be something that was going to be creating... Basically, as an actor, you just... Got it. Got in there and hung on for dear life because that's what would happen. The film's musical score was composed by Michael Giacchino. He said, Brad Bird is fond of saying that music is the easiest thing that can derail a film because it slightly goes a degree off track, it will take the viewer in the wrong emotional direction. To work with people who actually care about that is a good thing. The Wachowskis completely cared about that. They were just so much fun too. We would sit there and watch the film together. We would listen back to the playbacks and the synth stuff I was doing. We would just have fun and laugh. It was just a really enjoyable thing. In the lead up to the film's release, both Joel Silver and the Wachowski seemed confident of Speed Racer's success. A storyline had even been developed for a sequel with the entire cast signed on to return as part of their original contracts. Life, however, had other ideas. When Speed Racer opened in American cinemas on the 9th of May 2008, it opened third behind the Marvel Studios blockbuster Iron Man and the comedy What Happens in Vegas. Its opening weekend gross was just under $19 million. Iron Man, by contrast, had opened a week earlier to more than $96 million. Even Disney's Prince Caspian, which opened a week after Speed Racer, managed to gross $55 million, and that was considered an embarrassingly poor performance. Dan Fellman, Warner Brothers president for domestic distribution, said, We realised we were in for a disappointing weekend, but we weren't sure on what level. This is certainly not what we were anticipating. The exit polls were very strong on the movie. Well, by May 23rd, Paramount Pictures had released Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Iron Man was still running strong, and what happens in Vegas and Prince Caspian squeezed out what was left between them. Speed Racer was effectively left without an audience. 
By the time its theatrical run had ended, Speed Racer had grossed just $94 million worldwide. With a $130 million budget and an estimated $80 million spent in promotion and advertising, the film would ultimately be one of the costliest box office failures that the studio had ever seen. Well, the film's cast and crew didn't take the rejection of their film lying down. Matthew Fox said, Speed Racer is just an incredible movie to me, and I'm proud to have been part of it. I was just really disappointed that more people didn't get it. I think for a bunch of different reasons, it was ahead of its time. There's a bunch of reasons why I think it didn't do what everyone hoped it would do. Emil Hirsch said, People said so much shit about Speed Racer just because it didn't make like a billion dollars. The true nerds and the true fans know how awesome that film is. Michael Giacchino said, People didn't get it. They really didn't get it. They thought that, oh god, every review I read made me so angry. I was like, you're not getting it. It's not supposed to be real. It's not. It's a world that they want to create and take you into. It's just someplace else. It was like going into an art museum. Are you going to get angry because that doesn't look like a real person that was painted? It's not the same. It's a piece of art. Speed Racer's failure at the box office was clearly down to two key reasons. The first was the competition. The summer of 2008 was a highly competitive season for Hollywood. In the face of numerous superhero films, animated extravaganzas and high-profile sequels, Speed Racer was simply squeezed out of the marketplace. The second reason was that audiences received a glimpse of the film via its theatrical trailers, television advertisements and press coverage and did not like what they saw. It's a depressing reason for a film to fail, but it's also the most obvious and common one. Speed Racer is, for all intents and purposes, a beautifully constructed adaptation of a TV cartoon that nobody particularly wanted to see adapted. Its unique, optimistic look, while cleverly developed and beautifully realised, makes it a particularly difficult sell once lined lined up against Batman, Indiana Jones and Tony Stark. There's a very strong argument to be made that Speed Racer is, when all is said and done, the most expensive experimental arthouse film ever produced. One of the first things to be noticed in a big-budget studio film is its visual effects. And over the past 25 years, Hollywood has been engaged in a sort of visual effects arms race, with successive productions seeking to impress audiences with photorealistic computer-generated settings and characters. If a film can break new ground and showcase the likes of dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, Gollum in The Lord of the Rings, or the realistic apes of Rise and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, audiences and critics alike will praise its merits and financially reward its efforts. A film like James Cameron's Avatar, for example, might be dragged down by weak performances and a highly derivative storyline, yet through its impressive use of stereoscopic 3D and computer-generated protagonists, it still generated a larger box office gross than any other film in history. And herein lies Speed Racer's problem. It doesn't simply fail to create realistic visual imagery. It positively revels in its own artificiality. There isn't a shot in the entire production that represents a realistic view of the world. And as an audience, we've been trained by Hollywood to be impressed by realism. We might see a dinosaur on the screen, or an alien planet, or some fantastical creature. But we praise their qualities when these things visually appear as if they could logically fit in our own physical world in some fashion. We have a tendency to criticise or dislike the opposite. Speed Racer is deliberately showcasing non-realist imagery, yet it also includes human actors. Had the entire film been produced as a computer-generated animation, I suspect audiences would have embraced it quite warmly. But with the introduction of human characters, in amongst all of the digital sets and effects, I think we're instinctively confused. There's a cognitive dissonance at work that's sometimes difficult to overcome. And this dissonance extends to the manner in which the film has been shot and edited. The Wachowskis were seeking a new visual language for cinema with this film, and to a large degree they discovered it. This has the benefit of making Speed Racer visually unique, but it has the drawback of forcing its audience to learn how to properly read what they're seeing. 
Filmmakers develop new visual techniques all the time. Motion pictures went almost 20 years before Giovanni Pastroni invented the dolly shot with Kabiria in 1914. It took until 1960 for Jean-Luc Godard to repurpose the jump cut for narrative purposes in Breathless. Even the Wachowski's own Matrix in 1999 adapted Michel Gondry's time-slice photography techniques to generate the much-loudered bullet time effect, which created a method of representing critical moments of time in a striking and dynamic fashion. But Speed Racer arguably jumps too far ahead in terms of visual technique. The viewer is required to come to terms with the aforementioned nouveau pan, as well as scenes composed of separately shot four middle and background plates combined together with an equally clear focus from close up to the horizon. Background imagery is regularly and intentionally repetitive. The film garishly employs an excess of colour and excessive and pronounced camera movements throughout its mostly virtual environment. There is also a pronounced lack of visual hierarchy. A typical shot in a feature film will use focus and image composition to draw the eye to a specific part of the picture. Speed Racer regularly abandons this strategy during its racing sequences. The result is a blur of speed and movement that certainly provides a thrilling experience, but also a regularly incomprehensible one. It's glorious to watch, but at the same time it's rather like having a seizure inside a washing machine full of paint. Attempts to make the film emulate the limited animation style of the original anime are only partially successful, in the main because the film still uses those live-action actors. They all perform their roles in deliberately two-dimensional mannered ways, but there's still a physicality to them that makes the film miss its mark in this regard. Of course, while it fails to fully appear like a human cartoon, it does ultimately resemble something rather fascinating. There isn't a movie quite like Speed Racer. It seems rather unlikely there will be a film quite like it ever again. It's a wonderful exercise in excess. Too much colour, too much movement, too much noise, and altogether too much sugar. The Casa Cristo 5000, this cross-country race undertaken partway through the film, is a gleeful extravaganza. It's worth the price of admission all on its own. Taken all in one, Speed Racer is simply a strange film. It's an experiment in filmmaking, and a very bold and intriguing one. And certainly the most expensive one as well. I suspect it's the sort of film that is going to find a cult audience as the years go on. Movie enthusiasts who miss the attempts at hype and a high-profile crash in cinemas, but who will become fascinated by the energetic, colourful visuals on display. It's by no workable criteria the Wachowski's best film, that's probably a toss-up between the original Matrix and Bound, but it's probably their most interesting work. It's an amusement park ride in the shape of a movie, and based on that criteria, it's awfully good fun. If you enjoyed listening to this essay, feel free to head on over to www.fictionmachine.com where you can find both this essay in text form as well as about 20 other essays on interesting films looking into how they're made and whether or not they work. And while you're there, if you want to click on the Patreon link, it's in the top corner of the page, you'll get sent over to my Patreon campaign where for as little as a dollar a month you can help support me write, research, record and upload these essays and I'm hoping to get at least one done every month, sometimes two a month, I really, really appreciate everyone's support. Thanks a lot for listening.